Well, I'm glad you're here this morning. Did you bring a Bible with you? All right, if you did, I want you to take, turn to the Gospel of Matthew, ninth chapter. Going back to our snapshots of Jesus. I want you to know and understand that Jesus was a busy man. If you read the Gospels, you come to a very clear impression. I, I don't know of anyone today who maintains such a demanding schedule and interacts with and touches so many lives as what Jesus did during his earthly ministry. I read the Gospels and I get tired. I, I think he had to grow weary. He had to long for some time, some days where he could just pull apart and have some downtime, some quiet time, some alone time. Because Jesus was always there, ready to lend a willing hand to people in need. Didn't matter what their social status, didn't matter what the type of need might be. And every one of the Gospels records this to some degree, in some form or fashion. They make this plain as they write. This morning we're going to be looking into the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew Matthew's writing is, in a lot of ways, very topical. And he, he deals with with interactions, but it seems like he groups his material together so much by subject. This morning we're going to be looking at the end of Matthew chapter 9. Jesus' Galilean ministry is what Matthew's been writing about, telling about the things that happened uh, during about probably an 18-month period. It would have been impossible, I know, to record every event, but it almost seems like Matthew tried to. In these two chapters, I mean, just scan through chapters 8 and 9 and see what happened. Jesus healed a leper, a centurion servant, healed Peter's mother-in-law, set free some people who were demon-possessed, woke up from a nap one day in a boat in order to calm a storm because his disciples were afraid, crossed over the Jordan into the, onto the east bank and into the region of Perea, Cast demons out of two men, crossed back over the Jordan again to the west side, and there he healed a paralyzed man called Levi, who we know was Matthew, to follow him. Healed a woman who had been hemorrhaging for 12 years, healed the daughter of one of the rulers in the city, healed two blind men who followed him, cast demons out of a mute man. I mean, on and on and on it goes. And this is just a little bit of it. This isn't everything that happened. Jesus stayed busy constantly helping other people. What we're going to look at this morning in, in verses 35 through 38 at the end of the chapter is something that people in Kansas ought to feel real comfortable with. Uh, I, I was reading an article as I was researching this passage and digging into it several weeks ago, and a fellow, I don't have any idea where this guy lives, but he referred to verses 35 through 38 as a flyover passage. And I thought, well, all right, then that's what I'm going to preach. We live in Kansas. People refer to us as a flyover state. But you know what? For those of us who live in a flyover state, we understand something, don't we? There's a whole lot going on here. And it's worth stopping and checking out. I think the same is true in this flyover passage. So if you've got your Bible open to Matthew chapter 9, Find verse 35. Once you've found that, if you can, will, I'm going to invite you to stand with me in reading of God's holy word. Matthew is recording what's happening. He's been going through chapters 8, 9, telling us about so many different things they're coming to. And basically, now we're coming to a summary passage. He's going to summarize what's been happening and what it's all about. 
And here's what he tells us. Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them, because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Would you pray with me? Father, this morning we ask you to bless the reading of your word. And I I just ask you, Father, now as we spend these few moments together, that you would speak to our hearts. Teach us your truth. Open our eyes to see what is before us. Open our minds to receive it and embrace it. Father, I pray that as you call us, whatever that calling might be, whatever it might mean, that you would find in us a spirit of obedience that's willing to surrender, follow, and serve. Father, teach us your ways and teach us to walk in them. For we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. These verses summarize everything Jesus did. His ministry included teaching, preaching, healing. When he took the time to view the people, it touched his heart in a powerful way. And it was the tenderness of his heart that caused him to identify with them, to see their situation and and to take their suffering upon himself and make it his own. He urged those who followed him, those who called him master, teacher, rabbi, to engage, to use what was at their disposal to spread the gospel of the kingdom of God, to confront the hurts that people had. Now, these verses are really simple. And you all can tell probably by listening that I'm not at my best vocally this morning. So we're just going to unpack it and we're going to keep it simple. All right? I think there's a threefold picture of the master here that needs to be seen. And I think that it, it, it speaks to the situation we're living in today and what is around us and what is our opportunity. So I want you to keep your Bible open because I'm not leaving this passage. We're just going to stay right here, okay? But, But I want us to see what happens here. And it's really simple. Not anything new or earth shattering about it other than the fact that it should speak to our hearts and break our hearts. And it, it starts with the simple fact here. Jesus saw the confused masses. He, he saw them. I, I, this is the first thing that just jumps out in verse 36. Seeing the people. Jesus saw them. You know what? I want you to know something this morning. Jesus sees you. It doesn't matter who you are. It does not matter what your situation is. It does not matter what you're going through, how good you think life is, or how awful and terrible you might think that it might be. Jesus sees you. He knows what you're going through. He knows what you're feeling. He knows your hurts. 
I mean, in that time when Jesus looked and he saw the people, he saw people who were trying to make sense out of their lives. These weren't the folks who were moving in the circles of culture in Jerusalem. He's up in the north. He's up among a rural people who are trying to figure out just how to survive and make life work from day to day. And if there were ever any people who were confused about what their life was, it probably was those folks. They were dealing with issues of security and, 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 and what it meant to be a Jew under Roman authority. These people had been in bondage. With the exception of just a few short years, they had been in bondage ever since the days of the Assyrian and Babylonian empires. They wondered about their religion. They went to the synagogue and they listened to the scripture readings and they, they read about Messiah, a coming Messiah. And they waited. And they waited. And they waited. And messiahs showed up. The problem was they were all false messiahs. And they would lead for a while in their direction and people would follow. And whenever they were gone, they would leave a wake of dead bodies and, and tragedy behind them. And so the Jews, for a large part, had come to be a people who didn't know who they could turn to. They didn't know who they could trust. They, they were living in spiritual and mental and emotional confusion. Basically, folks, they weren't a whole lot different than the people we live among today. Wouldn't you think our world's a little bit like that? People are trying to figure out and understand the real issues in our world. Just turn on the news for a little bit. Turn on the news for a little bit. Just, just think about it. We're confused militarily. We have folks who tell us if you want peace, then you have to procure per peace through being strong and intimidating people. And we have other people who say if you want peace, you need to lay down all of your weapons and show people that you're a folks of goodwill and that you're willing to just get along and, and, and you'll, you'll be safe. Everything will be happy. People are confused economically. It's amazing to me. We live in a generation, we live in a nation, we live among a people who have more in the way of material possessions than any people who have ever lived at any time anywhere. And yet we have more people who are living in anxiety, concerned about whether or not they're going to make it to the end of their lives or not. I promise you, you're going to make it to the end of your life. You may not have everything you want along the way, but you're going to make it to the end of your life. We are a people who are confused about morality. People are more confused and perplexed than ever before. We have folks who are confused. They don't know if something is a political issue or a moral issue. Let me make it real simple for you. Every issue is a moral issue in some form or fashion. All right? All you got to do is figure out what the Word of God says. Life has been cheapened in favor of promiscuity and convenience. Established moral codes have been replaced by moral relativism. Sin is no longer seen as wrong as long as you don't get caught. We're confused folks. I want you to know Jesus sees people. And he sees their confusion. He understands what's going on, not just in their lives, but in their heads and in their hearts. Seeing the people, here you go, Jesus felt compassion for them. He felt compassion for them. 
What that means, I mean, if you want to just make it as easy as you can, what Jesus saw moved him. It moved him. It touched him. As Jesus viewed the spiritual and mental and moral confusion of these people as well as their other needs because there were folks there who were sick and there were folks there who were hungry. There were folks who were just trying to figure out how to get by. But when he saw all of this, he was stirred, he was moved, and he was filled with compassion. What that means is he felt their pain. He was aware that many of the people who were around him had been disappointed in life. Now, I just want to ask a simple question. How many of y'all have ever been disappointed in life? Anybody ever been let down by someone you thought you could trust? Anyone ever lost a job you thought you had? Anybody ever woke up in the morning and thought, I don't want to go do this again? Yeah. There's probably not anybody in the room that can't say yes to at least one of those simple questions. And when Jesus saw these people who had been disappointed in life, had been hurt, had been let down, it crushed his heart. And Matthew says he, he felt compassion for them. The word compassion literally means suffering with. Suffering with. So when you feel compassion for someone Whatever it is that they're suffering, you're going to suffer it with them. You put yourself into that situation with them. That person who's lost their job, feel their agony. That husband or wife that came home and found a note on the counter that said, I'm out. Feel their heartbreak. Compassion. It doesn't mean saying, I'm so sorry. No, it means getting in there with them. It means crying with them, hurting with them, agonizing with them, trying to figure out where do I go from now with them. Wouldn't it be awesome today if we had some, some strong leaders who were tender enough to feel deeply for others? Can I tell you something? Jesus was that kind of leader. Jesus is that kind of man. He was driven and dynamic, but he was also sympathetic and empathetic and compassionate toward the people around him. He saw their needs. He felt their needs. He hurt with them. He saw a world that was devoid of unity. And I want to tell you something. He grieved over the fact that that was not how God's creation was intended to be. And who would know better? He was the creator, according to John chapter 1. He knew that creation was intended to be united under God's power and control. But instead, here it was, divided and broken and hurting. That was never God's intention. And the godlessness of our day should shock anyone who has any spiritual sensitivity. Jesus, Jesus knew that if life was going to be worth living for the masses... Someone had to touch them where they were. Someone had to minister to them at the point of their need. And there wasn't anyone else who was going to do it, who could do it the way that he could do it. And so he engaged to do it. And what was it he was trying to do? Feed the hungry? Yeah, he did that. Heal the sick? Yeah, he did that. Give sight to the blind? Yeah, he did that. But there was one thing that was bigger than all of that. He sought to reintroduce them into a relationship 
with their heavenly father. You see, that's God's vision. And that's God's heart. And that's what Jesus had. Jesus had God's vision and God's heart. He looked at the people and he saw them the way that the father saw them. See, one of the great tragedies of our day today, my friends, is this, that we can walk the streets and we can see those who are poor, those who are sick, those who are without a shepherd, those who are hungry, those who have nowhere to lay their head, and we do not feel any compassion. That's our tragedy. Only the compassion of Christ can move people to engage and take action and make a difference. Jesus didn't just, he didn't just love people. He saw them and he saw their worth. In this section of Matthew's gospel, I've often wondered how he felt writing this because Matthew records his own calling. How Jesus called him a tax collector. I mean, come on. Folks, we're getting to the last part of February. I know some of y'all are thinking you don't like tax collectors very well. All right? These people despise the tax collectors. When the people of Israel looked and saw Levi, what they saw was a man who had traded. He had traded sides. He had gone from being a loyal Jew to now being a subject who was serving Rome. He was taking from the Jewish people and giving to the Roman Empire. He was a traitor. He was a dog. He was worthless. They didn't want anything to do with him, but Jesus looked at him and saw him differently. Jesus looked at him and saw he was a man of potential. And so he called him out. Why did he do that? Because he saw in Levi or Matthew one who could be part of his inner circle. He saw someone who could remember what was going on and had the ability to sit down and write it down so that those coming years and centuries later would be able to read this account and see what Jesus was about. Jesus called him to follow. And in doing that, he let let Matthew know, I see who you really are. I know what you can really do. I'm going to bring you into this. We're going to use you to accomplish. You see, why did he do that? Because he had compassion. He didn't just see what Levi was doing. He felt what Levi was feeling. That's what compassion does. Compassion sometimes leads us to deal with people not based upon what we see with our eyes, but what we feel with our hearts. Jesus saw the people. He had compassion on them. But then Jesus instructed his followers what to do. Now this is the part of the passage that most people are familiar with. These last couple of verses. Verses 37 and 38. You got your Bible, look at them again. Then he said to his disciples... See, this isn't for the crowds. This isn't for the masses. This is for that group that was there with him, those who already knew who he was, those who were already following, those who believed. 
He said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord. Pray. Call out. Cry out to God. Beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into, did you see this? Into his harvest. Let me tell you something about discipleship. That's, that's today's buzzword. Christian circles, you can't read many Christian articles. You can't pick up the magazine journals without reading about the need for d- genuine, intentional discipleship. Discipleship means that we do life together. And in the doing of life together, we invest in one another. Discipleship, I believe, is always intentional and simply because whenever as a Christian man I put myself into someone else's life and spend time with them, that's the whole point. I'm not just wanting to hang out with somebody, although I enjoy people's company, but when I hang out with people, here's the reality. I want to spend time trying to give to them some of what I know from Christ, hoping that they can teach me some things as well. It's what we do. Discipleship should always be intentional, but it ought to be, ought to be natural. It ought to just flow out of who we are as followers of Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to look, though, at what he says. He said to his disciples, okay, these are the people he's pouring into. These are the people he's teaching. These are the ones he's training. Understand, these are folks he's preparing because he knows that his time is going to draw to a close. And when he's gone, someone's got to carry on the kingdom work. And so he's equipping them, he's training them, he's discipling them, he's teaching them. What does he teach them to do? Look at what he says. The harvest is plentiful. Now I just want to stop right there. No excuses, folks. No excuses. Well, we're in an area that's been burned over by religion so much. There's so many different churches. There's so many. No excuses. The harvest is plentiful. Now, if you want to argue that or debate that, take it up with Jesus. He's the one that said it. The harvest is plentiful. There are people that need to hear about, learn about, and know about the kingdom of God. Whenever we come to church, we hear a message. Maybe our emotions get stirred. Maybe we're called to action. I want to tell you something. It means absolutely nothing to come in here and be stirred if we are not changed. Discipleship calls for action. Being stirred calls for action. If action does not follow, let me tell you what happens. And I fear that it's happened in many churches, and I fear that it could happen in this church because I fear that it happens in the hearts and lives of many born-again believers today. If we are called to action and we do not act, our hearts grow a little bit harder and a little bit colder. And it takes a little bit more to stir them the next time. And if we don't act then, we grow a little colder, we grow a little harder. And I'm going to tell you what happens before long. People walk into a church. They go through all the motions. They hear all the right words. They sing all the right songs. They do all the right stuff. But when they walk outside the doors of the church and outside the walls of the building... 
they never think about making an impact for the kingdom of God. They stand in the middle of a harvest field that's ready to be reaped. And say, can't see anything. So they don't do anything. Jesus pointed his disciples to the possibilities of service. He told them the harvest is plentiful. Oh, but the workers are few. The workers are few. So pray. Look at his direction to them. Beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. Call out to the Lord. Cry out to God to prepare people, to equip people, to call people, to send people to engage in that harvesting process. Listen, I think that sometimes we completely miss the emphasis. And I want to point it out to us this morning because I think it's an important issue. I think it's awesome. This is going to sound kind of weird and twisted, I guess. But I think it is awesome when God's people pray and weep over the lost. We ought to. If we understand how glorious heaven is and how real and devastating, terrible hell is, we ought to weep for the lost. Particularly if they are our friends, if they are our family members, if they are people, we, how could you possibly love someone and not tell them that God loves them and has a place for them? We ought to weep for the lost. But that's not what Jesus said. No, that's not what he said. Look again. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Jesus didn't say pray for the harvest. You know why? Because we can't save anybody. We can't get anybody saved. Salvation is of the Lord. It is the Spirit of God that convicts men and women and boys and girls of sin. It is the Spirit of God that draws and woos them to come and look at the cross and see the Savior there who is pouring out his life in order to redeem them from sin and buy them back from bondage. It is the Spirit of God who brings them to that place where the Word of God begins to make sense in their hearts and minds and they begin to cry out for salvation and forgiveness. The implication here is so clear. The harvest will take care of itself. God is going to do what only God can do, but He needs workers in the harvest. See, Jesus realized what many of us are coming to understand though some of you already understand it I understand it some of you this is going to hit you like a wet rag you know I hadn't thought about it before think about it because here it goes if people will pray sincerely about a specific need eventually It is very likely that they will offer themselves to meet that need. Because God will continue to grow that burden and that concern as we talk to him about it. 
we continue to talk about it because he won't let it go off of our hearts. If he doesn't let it go off of our hearts, we begin to understand how important it is to the heart of God. And as we come to understand how important it is to the heart of God, it begins to take control of our hearts. You know why? Because our hearts belong to God. I think it's so sad. It's so sad that when translations were being done, there's a division a chapter division at this point in the text. Because I think too often times we stop reading right there at the end of verse 38. We don't keep turning the page and going on to see what happens next. Because in chapter 10 verse 1, Jesus called the 12 together and he divided them up two by two. And he sent them out to witness, to preach the kingdom of God. Just like he had been talking to them about. Friends, I want you to hear me. We need to be praying for workers. We need to be praying for people who are willing to pour themselves out into the pouring out of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The harvest will take care of itself if the workers will go into the field. God has already provided it. He's already said the harvest is plentiful. But the workers have got to get there. As I was reading this and I was thinking about this, I found myself leaning back in my chair and saying, Tim, how much do you really care about people? Well, brothers and sisters, how much do we really care? Does it really matter to us that hearts are broken, that lives have been torn apart, that hope has been lost, and that people are on their way to hell and have no idea that there is a different path? Do you really care? Jesus cared. He went where the people were. He said, how do you know that? All the way back at the beginning of the text, Jesus went from village to village and town to town. He went where the people were at. I don't want to complicate anything. In fact, I want to make things as simple as I can because, well, that's what it takes for my brain to function. So let me make it simple. The best way that we can introduce people to a better life is to introduce people to Jesus. That's it. He's the one who can set them free. He's the one who can make them a new creation. He's the one who can give them a new life. He's the one who can provide purpose for them and give their life meaning every day. He is the one. We can't do it, but church, we cannot afford to become complacent. We've got to learn to think like Jesus thought, to feel as Jesus felt, to work as Jesus worked, to see as Jesus saw, and to work and engage our lives in reintroducing people to the Heavenly Father that sin and Satan have separated them from. The question is, will we? That's always been the question. I'm going to tell you how it rolls out. Some are going to say, man, that's that strong. Walk out the back door and do nothing. That's a heartbreaker, but it's the truth. My question is, can the Lord find just one or two people? Just, just one or two. Oh, I'd love to see dozens, but just one or two. I mean, you got to start somewhere, right? 
Can the Lord find those people? Who would say, I'm part of the workforce. I may not be much. I may not have much. I may not even know much. But if he's calling, I'm going. What can the Lord do with a surrendered heart? Maybe it's time to find out. Let's bow our heads together. In just a moment, we're going to stand together and sing a song of, of invitation, of commitment, of surrender. I, I want you to have the opportunity to respond to the voice of God. I, I don't know what he said to you today. I don't know how he's speaking to you. I don't know how he's directing you. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're saying, I'm that person you were talking about early that my, my life's been torn up. I've been broken. I've been hurt. I've been crushed. I've been destroyed. I don't think there's any hope. I don't think there's anywhere to turn. If you're that person, I just want you to hear me. There is a place to turn. There's a person to turn to. His name is Jesus Christ. And he loves you with a love you cannot even hardly begin to imagine. He loved you so much that even seeing the situation you were going to be in, that you are in, he was willing to lay down his life and take all of your sin, all of your flaws, all of your faults, all of your hurts, put it all on himself so that you could put on his righteousness. And today, he's willing to make you a new creation. If you'll call on him, if you will come to him in repentance and faith, Surrendering your heart to him, letting him take control, he'll make you a new creation. Maybe you're my brother or sister in Christ. And you're the one that was, I was talking about earlier when I was talking about that family member, that friend, that co-worker, that classmate. Someone that you care deeply about, that you love, and, and you're concerned for them because you know they need a relationship with the Lord. You know that they're lost. You know that they're on their way to hell. They're separated from God. Would you offer yourself to the Lord today and say, Lord, use me. Use me. And, and if I'm not the one you can use for that person, send someone. Send a worker into the field. Send somebody. To share with them the good news of Jesus Christ. Church, is it time? Is it time to start getting serious about praying for the lost and praying for those workers to come into the field where the lost are? Would you be one of those workers? Maybe you're sitting here and you're saying, man, I'm so glad I'm not part of this guy's flock. Has God led you here? Are you supposed to be a part of this church? Why aren't you? Why aren't you? I don't know what God's speaking into your heart, but I do know that if he's speaking to you, you hear his voice today. Today is the day to be obedient. As he leads, you respond. Father, I thank you. I thank you this morning for your word. 
I thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Not only for the price he paid, but for the love that he showed. And for the calling he's placed upon the lives of those who are his. And I pray this morning that as we have listened not only to your word, but hopefully to the voice of your spirit, that we, we sense your calling, we sense your direction. Father, I pray this morning that we would not just hear, but that we would obey. Help us, Father, to surrender. Lead us to give ourselves and all that we are into your control. If there's one here who doesn't know you, I pray, draw them to yourself, Father. We just want to rejoice with them in their new life. Father, if there are are men, women, boys, and girls who are brokenhearted here today for someone they care about who's lost, I pray that you would give them a burden. They would begin to pray for that person and pray for the opportunities and pray for a worker, someone, somehow, that would share Jesus with that person and make a difference in their life. And Father, if it can be us, oh, Father, take us and use us. And Lord, whatever you desire to do, have your way. And be glorified in our lives. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.